Hello, and welcome to Code Red, the newest podcast from the Climate Clinic, brought to you by the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education. I'm Christy Hadley, a practicing emergency physician and your host. In each episode, myself and guest interviewers will take you around the world to understand how climate change is affecting people's health, not theoretically or in the future, but today. We'll be speaking directly with community members, the health professionals taking care of them, and subject matter experts to make sense of the headlines you've heard about and those you have not. We'll talk about the stories, the science, and the solutions. Climate change is here, and it's a code red for humanity. Our first episode takes us to Pakistan, where the monsoons have brought harder rains this year than any other. Glacier lakes have burst, the Indus River has overflowed its banks, and catastrophic flooding has destroyed crops, contaminated the water supply, and left 1,500 people dead. I'm joined by guest interviewer Dr. Adesh Sindaresan. Adesh, thanks so much for being here. Christy, thanks so much for having me on the show today. It's been a devastating time for Pakistan. On the 25th of August, the government uh, of Pakistan declared a national emergency, calling 66 districts, mainly in Balochistan and Sindh, a calamity hit. And just five days later, on the 30th of August, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres launched a $160 million appeal to support Pakistan and described the flood, the rainfall as a monsoon on steroids. So it's really been a challenging time for the country. You recently sat down with a Pakistani expert on climate and health and a community member whose family has been affected by this tragedy. Yes, I was fortunate to sit down with Dr. Hina Shan. So Hina is a physician and assistant professor in the Department of Public Health at the National University of Medical Sciences, Pakistan. And with her was Ikram Ullah. Uh, Ikram is a community member from the flood-stricken Punjab province, which is situated between the Indus River and the Suleiman Mountains. Ikram is the primary breadwinner for his family. He works as a cook in the capital city of Islamabad, whilst his wife and two children still live in their ancestral rural village, which was heavily hit by the flooding. I'm sure I speak for all of our listeners when I say we are looking forward to hearing the interview. So let's dive right in. Hina, thank you very much for joining us today to shed light on the unprecedented flooding that's been taking place in Pakistan. I'd like to start off by asking, what is the situation on the ground at present? Thank you, Avesh. Well, around 33 million people across the country have suffered by the rains and the worst flooding in decades. So more than 80 districts out of 154 districts in five provinces have been declared calamity hit. The most affected province is Sindh, followed by Balochistan. Sindh and Balochistan remain the two provinces that have received the most rainfall this monsoon, uh, more than 5.5 times their respective 30-year averages. So a death toll is 1,500 and over, and it's increasing um, on daily basis because uh, people who have, uh, you know, been critically ill are, are not able to, you know, sustain injuries. And there are over 13K injuries recorded since mid-July. 552 children have lost their lives and injured due to uh, this intense heavy local rainfall which led to urban flash floods, landslides and glacial lake outbursts, destroying homes, agricultural lands and livestock. So Adesh, uh, the Indus River which runs through the length of the country, it, it burst its bank across thousands of square kilometers inundating villages and agriculture areas along this river. That made uh, things more worse. And according to the National Disaster Management Authority, NDMA, more than 1.1 million houses have been damaged 
and over 7.6 million houses destroyed across the country. So the situation is very tragic and it has displayed around 8 million people. 5.7 million people are sheltering in relief camps. People are living in collective sites while many more are displaced and being hosted by other households. The humanitarian situation has also been compounded by severe impacts to um, infrastructure. Public health facilities, water systems, schools, they all have been damaged, um, along with uh, around 1,500 health facilities in the country that have been destroyed, uh, 13,000 kilometers of roads and hundreds of bridges, as well as rail railways have been damaged and destroyed. So this has led to uh, disrupted routes connecting the provinces. Around 40,000 schools have been damaged. There is a massive damage to crops and uh, you know, 10 million livestock have been lost or killed. Uh, the situation is pretty grim. Hina, this has clearly been a devastating situation for Pakistan, a period of sustained climatic disruption. Ikram, I wanted to start off by asking what your personal experience has been during the flooding and how it has affected your family and community. I was here and was not knowing about the floods when my family told me. I went there with a lot of difficulty. At that time, our houses were safe, so we stayed there thinking we might be spared. But then when the water started rising, we cut loose our cattle to set them free. Then we shifted our families to a safer place and saved our children with a lot of struggle. All the houses were destroyed. It was a difficult time for us. Still there is water all around, though the flood has gone. But still stagnant water is there. Ikram, are people in your community experiencing health problems as a result of this flooding? It is very troubling for us. The community is hit with different diseases like gastro, malaria and dengue. There are many diseases to deal with, no clean and safe water to drink, and availability of food is a problem. We still cannot go back due to water all around. This sounds incredibly challenging, Akram. From what you've seen in the rural areas, what support has been provided by local authorities and government for the hardest hit communities? We did not get any assistance except dry ration, received twice. No other assistance has been given till now. Our houses have been destroyed, our cattle are finished, and we're facing a lot many diseases. That is why we cannot bring our families back who are residing currently in a shelter. My own children are ill. My wife and daughter are ill. My wife has gotten malaria, as told by the doctor. The floods caused a lot of damage, and we are troubled in many ways. Ikram, I'm really sorry to hear about the additional hardships that your family have faced on top of the flooding. Hina, something that Ikram and yourself have mentioned has been the loss to the agricultural industry. It's been quoted that over $2.3 billion worth of food crops have been destroyed and there have been additional losses via livestock. Has this had disruptions on the food chain? Have there been food shortages in Pakistan? Yes, our crops were also damaged. We had cotton and sugarcane, which are completely finished. Wherever flood water has entered, it has left nothing. No animals, no crops, and no houses were safe. Everything is gone. Now this might seem obvious to some listeners, but we often talk about the link between extreme weather events and climate change. From a meteorological standpoint, has the flooding been clearly connected to climate change, Hina? Yes, Adesh, it is, uh, because uh, we have seen the unprecedented uh, climate catastrophe. It is a horrific reality and it is uh, no more a distant possibility. Uh, what we have seen in Pakistan is exactly what climate projections have been predicting for years. And there were fingerprints of climate change in Pakistan exacerbating the heat waves earlier this year. 
and now uh, the relentless impact of epochal uh, levels of rain and flooding which provide conclusive evidence of Pakistan being vulnerable to such extremes. Mm, according to uh, the Pakistan Meteorological Department, it was the wettest August since records um, uh, began in 1961 and national rainfall was like 243% above average. I think you, uh, you mentioned that. And uh, this is in line with the um, report by Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, which projected more intense uh, rainfalls in the region and with historical weather records. Other uh, South Asian countries, including Bangladesh, Bhutan, in India, Maldives and Nepal, Pakistan is facing multifaceted threats of climate change. And it is uh, this region on the whole is labeled as climate hotspot. Um, South Asian region is enclosed by Himalayas in the north um, and uh, the Indian Ocean in the south and due to you know geophysical conditions it's a flat low-lying delta exposed topography uh, and, and the rising sea levels and temperature this is basically uh, precipitating the cross boundary river flows and there is then the socio-economic demographic factors we have like high population density then there's uh, levels of poverty and dependence on agriculture so this all leads to increased incidence of extreme events such as floods, droughts, cyclones, storms and irregularity of monsoon. And, and we cannot ignore the urbanization, globalization and population growth that has, you know, fueled um, the situation. And we, we, we all talk about the anthropogenic, you know, activities and they all are aggravated by that. So I think when um, the Global Climate Risk Index says that it is the most impacted region of the world, South Asia, it is true. And we have seen uh, fatalities and economic loss that occurred between 1998 and 2017 due to climate change. Recently, um, we had a visit from UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. And he said that no country deserves this fate, but particularly not countries like Pakistan that have not done almost nothing to contribute to global warming. Those are great points, Hina. Thank you for sharing them. During this podcast, you've cited rural, com rural communities as an example of vulnerable populations who are likely to face the brunt of health impacts from flooding. Uh, are there any other groups or populations that you're seeing who are experiencing poorer health outcomes in the immediacy of this crisis? There are vulnerable groups like pregnant women and lactating women. Then there are marginalized groups uh, where uh, people suffering from chronic disease and disability. The poor were living in, um, uh, you know, in areas uh, which were on the you know bank of River Indus. So I think uh, they are obviously most vulnerable. In a recently published rapid attribution study which has linked this flooding to climate change, one of the authors has came out in a press briefing and said that the impacts of this disaster was a result of the vulnerability constructed over a number of years and that we shouldn't, the situation shouldn't be taken into account as the outcome from one sporadic event. Is enough being done to build adaptive capacity for these vulnerable communities, Hina? It is being done through education for our youth. And the only problem is that we know uh, about the interconnectedness. We know what to do. The students were even knowing how to, you know, reduce uh, gr uh, greenhouse uh, emissions and how to, you know, reuse, recycle and uh, what needs to be done for a sustainable planet. But uh, the thing is, uh, we need to make them commit to it. And they, they don't have this connection with nature, uh, living in an urban setting. But when you 
moved to rural areas. Our drive was not for rural areas, but I have, I have been, I have a connection with rural communities. They have a stronger bond with nature, and there they don't have much knowledge, but uh, it would be easier to engage them and you know build resilient communities for uh, you know climate change. Those are fantastic points, Hina. I'm sure the situation in Pakistan will spark conversations around climate justice. Pakistan is responsible for less than 1% of human-produced emissions, but is actually the 18th most vulnerable country in the world to climate impacts. You've talked about mitigation, which is top of the agenda to stem the bleeding of further greenhouse gases, and the only real way to reduce the possibility of these crises becoming regular events. As a public health professional, how has the flooding affected health systems in Pakistan, and how has this sector responded to the demands of the situation at present? For public health, it's a bigger challenge, you know, because we would be uh, working towards a prevention and control, restoring the interruption of care. There are social factors uh, where children have been orphaned and there is tons of waste that has been created. Um, there's hazardous waste um, and debris in vegetation soil, uh, municipal waste, and this waste poses a great threat to human health. Groundwater supplies and the marine environment is damaged. Uh, the drainage system is choked. And uh, then there are sewage problems. There are challenges of logistics and access to affected areas uh, which have bottlenecks uh, in uh, aid flows. There are public health uh, officials who have been giving care. People have received food, shelter, medicines. Uh, there has been counseling going on for mothers, uh, nutritional uh, supplements, water and sanitation, protection, um, uh, sexual and reproductive health is being addressed as well, and protection in terms terms of um, you know exploitation sexual exploitation or gender based that's all been going on i'm curious to hear from you akram what do you feel that communities like yours need in order to achieve climate resilience and what do you feel needs to be done in order to prevent such situations from manifesting repeatedly in the future the floods caused by heavy rains are a problem and can only be averted by construction of proper water banks if anything can be done, it is through government, by building dams and water banks. Hina, we have healthcare professionals listening in from around the world. What message do you have for them? All the healthcare professionals should realise that there is no time to waste. We must ramp up climate action and resilient systems everywhere. We have to promote actionable steps that individuals and societies can take to achieve progress towards planetary health with compassion and building climate resilient communities. And we need to understand the link and interconnections between public health and nature and then move from knowledge to action through better integration of knowledge, policy and practice. Uh, this requires a shared responsibility, collective response and multi-sectoral action. And we can scale up and accelerate uh, climate action, which is now a moral imperative rather than a choice. It's essential that healthcare uh, practitioners understand how climate change could impact their clinical practice, uh, be empowered to safeguard their patients' health and use their voices to engage the healthcare community and public to act on climate change. 
here um, in in Pakistan, uh, people don't go for regular checkups. They they go when they are suffering from some disease or have you know or are in pain. So uh, they are vulnerable and very very receptive to the doctor or the clinician. So I think it is uh, the high time where you can you know engage them and uh, um, and, and 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 educate them about climate. Uh, this could include informing and um, you know informing education, alerting patients, individual and communities and also decision makers. Uh, climate and health uh, is integrated and it, it should be uh, a part of medical education and training and they, they should lead as leaders. The clinicians and practitioners should also bring change in the media narrative on climate change. We as public health professionals are uh, doing our part but we, we need to generate momentum and uh, there needs to be more um, you know, voice on this agenda. Thank you so much, Ikram. Thank you very much, Hina, for both joining us today to talk about the devastating flooding that's happened in Pakistan. We, along with our listeners, wish you all the best in the coming months during the recovery and rehabilitation from this crisis. What a powerful conversation. So many great points were touched on. It's really clear from Ikram's account how devastating an impact the flooding has had on all aspects of life, including health. Absolutely, Christy. From injuries, being cut off from resources the loss of agriculture and livestock, to the contamination of the water supply that leads to diarrhoea and other infectious diseases. It's just really, unfortunately, a a good example of how flooding events can worsen health. I was also struck by what Dr. Sean said about the impacts on the public health sector. They really have their work cut out dealing with both short and long-term impacts, especially with supporting the displaced communities, both now just meeting their basic needs and also in the future as they're able to return and work on rebuilding their lives. Thanks so much again, Adesh, for joining us today and sharing this conversation. Thanks also to Dr. Hina Shan, Igram Ola, and to all of you for listening. We look forward to you joining us again for our next episode, and be sure to check out our other podcast. You've been listening to Code Red, a podcast brought to you by the Climate Club.